God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, this is unusual. Christmas Day on Sunday. It's not going to happen again until 2022, six years into the future. Apparently, leap year goes in there to change things just a little bit. But it is amazing to see sometimes how Christians respond to the fact that Christmas is on Sunday. One well-known author said this, How would a stranger from another planet make sense of the fact that while many Christians were arguing for the freedom at Christmas time to place religious symbols like a manger in a town square, others were canceling Sunday services because it happened to land on Christmas Day. We come up with all kinds of excuses. It's family time. I just went to a Christmas Eve service last night. Why go again? Our church has provided videos so we can have worship at home. This disposition is symptomatic of an attitude. Church attendance is not going to inconvenience my Christmas celebration. You say, well, that must have been written by some well-known theologian. No, that was written by John Grissom, the well-known novelist, in his book, Skipping Christmas. Now, I understand you know, people have to travel, and there's nothing wrong with that, but what bugs me is the fact that when our lives get busy, we have a tendency to put God out instead of making God central. I'm not getting on your case. You're here. <laughs> and I'm glad you are. But it is unusual. It's unique that Christmas falls, or, yeah, falls on a Sunday when we gather together to worship. But you know, everything about Jesus and his birth is unique. I like that word, unique. It means being one of a kind. It means without equal or equivalent. So technically, Christmas falling on a Sunday is not unique. It's a bit unusual, but it's not something that happens just once. Unique is something that is unparalleled, extraordinary, and all of those things speak to the birth of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew rack in front of you, and if you don't own a Bible, take one of those home. If you need some money, take two or three and sell them. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, if you don't have a Bible, please take one and use it. I'm going to begin my reading from verse 26. So this is the Gospel according to Luke, second book in the New Testament, chapter 1, and the verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now let me just notice from this wonderful passage that the birth of Christ indeed is unique because the process is unique. A virgin shall conceive. That is, this baby is going to be conceived of the Holy Spirit without the aid of a man in the natural process. Now, by the way, virgin birth is not the best way to describe it because the birth was very natural. The conception was unusual. That's the unique part about it. And indeed, this is vital and very important to the story. Notice in the text, verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 34, how can this be since I am a virgin? It's all part of the text and predicted by the prophets long ago as well in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Do you say it's important? Absolutely important to the story. One of my favorite uh, stories is Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. I start reading it about every time this year and only get halfway through. Uh, but, uh, so the first part I know very well. And I love how it starts. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt about that. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come to the story or come of the story that I'm about to tell. Now, I would submit to you that Jesus was born of a virgin. This is to be sure. If this is not understood, there's nothing wonderful about the story that we're going to tell. It's unique in its process. And we don't know all the details and how God would have worked it out, but the baby Jesus formed naturally in Mary's womb and was born in a natural way and started out as a baby, predicted by the prophets that he would be born of a virgin, that a baby for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he'll be called mighty God. That is all amazing stuff and makes this the most wonderful of all stories. Unique indeed by the process. This is prose. This is history. This isn't myth. This isn't poetry. This is fact. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. There are four gospel writers, aren't there? Yes, there are. And two of them say nothing about the virgin birth, Mark and John. And that's right. Because Mark and John start their stories with John the Baptist. And then they follow into the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the silence of those two gospel writers 
doesn't mean anything about their attitude toward the virgin birth any more than the fact that they say nothing about the childhood of Jesus Christ means that they believe he didn't have one. But the two writers that do talk about the birth of Christ, they mention the virgin birth, Matthew and Luke. That's abundantly clear. And it's vitally important. And you must believe this. Or else you have a human savior who cannot save. I noticed something else that I think is indeed unique, and that is the person. The birth of Christ is unique regarding his person. For it tells us in verse 31, Mary, you will give birth. You you have conceived a child, and you will give birth to a son. So this one who is born is Mary's son. But also it says in verse 32, he'll be great and he'll be called God's son, son of the most high. And so you have these multiple names, this dual identity. Son of Mary, son of God. No one else can claim that. It is entirely unique. Long before sonograms ever existed, you're going to give birth and it will be a boy. Ladies could never tell that up to this point. Oh, they played the same games we do. You know, they do the different shenanigans that are supposed to tell you it's a boy or it's a girl, and they make their guess, and the matchmaker will come walking by and say, yep, that's a boy, I can tell the way you're carrying it, and, you know, 50-50 chance. Every time I've predicted a child being born as to its identity or gender, I'm always wrong. I've got another grandchild coming in February. I was convinced it's going to be a girl because I have five grandsons and I just knew it was going to be a girl this time. It's a boy, (laughs) which is great. But predicting is next to impossible, but except for God. And so he says, you're going to conceive and bear a son. That was the prophet Isaiah, and it is repeated again in the New Testament. Son of Mary Son of God. His name, Jesus, as we mentioned last night, talks about his mission. He shall save his people from their sins. But so does the name Emmanuel, which is given to him, both in the Old Testament and echoed in Matthew's Gospel. Here it's, his name is going to be Jesus, and his name is going to be Son of the Highest. And so Jesus speaks of his mission and his humanity. Emmanuel speaks of his mission and his deity. What's his mission as Emmanuel? God with us. God means he's transcendent. He's over us. He's above us. He's beyond us. He's different from us. Emmanuel means this great God has come to be with us. And that's what's so exciting. Not just with us, in the sense of omnipresence, God is everywhere present. His presence extends to every part of the universe. But with us in the sense of on our side, with us in the sense of in our humanity, with us in the sense of Colossians chapter 1, in us, and with us in the sense of Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be 
against us. And so one of the most exciting things about Christmas is this. God has come to be on your side. And if you were here last night, as Karen, Carol uh, sang so beautifully that wonderful song, the one who made all the stars and this majesty of God cares more for you than even natural creation. God, unique in person. And so we sing of this one who is man and God, who is babe but king, joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. We sang a moment ago, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. So let men start singing songs. Let men their songs employ. The next stanza says, joy to the world, or, or he rules the world with truth and grace, and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. You see, with God, it's always, go- with Christ, it's always going to be this dual identity, God-man, perfect God, perfect man, righteous and loving, holy, compassionate, mixed in without any conflict. And that's the beauty of the unique person who is born. He is born for a unique purpose. Jump over to chapter 2 for a moment. We've already talked about the fact that he has come to save and, and he has come to side with us, support us. But there is also a kind of a multiple purpose here, a dual purpose a twofold consequence of the coming of the Savior, according to Simeon. Simeon is the old man who was waiting in the temple. God said, you're not going to die until you see my salvation. And I don't know how much more information Simeon had, except he went to the temple every day. And I'm sure he said, could this be the day? Could this be the day? And one day he goes into the temple, and Mary and Joseph come in, eight days after he's born, uh, to present him according to the law. And there's Simeon, and he sees the baby, and he hails him as God's Messiah. Look at verse 34 of Luke 2. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined, his purpose, to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Wow. To some, he will be a rich blessing in which they will build their lives upon him and they will rise up in glory. They will rise up in newness of life. They will rise up with eternal life when they put their faith and trust in him. Jesus Christ is the source, the only source of salvation, forgiveness of sins, and life. But he is also, by his coming, the one who divides humanity. And when people see him and reject him, he will be not to them the cornerstone, but the stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And down they will fall. I find it interesting that when Jesus was born, the angels sang in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest, and goodwill and peace 
toward men. He's the Prince of Peace. He's come to bring peace. And yet Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, now wait a minute. How come you say on the one hand you've come to bring peace, and on the other hand you've come to bring a sword, not peace? It's because the consequence of the righteous one coming into a sinful world divides humanity based on their reception or their rejection of him. And so he is unique in his purpose, both to save and to divide. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save. I like that. There's deity in that phrase. He shall save. Who is he in yonder stall? At whose feet the shepherds fall. Did you notice in that song that the only thing about the nativity is just that first line and the rest of it just goes into the life of Christ, which is okay. But who is he in yonder stall? Tis the Lord of glory, mighty to save. There's divinity in that brief phrase. He shall save. There is certainty in it. He shall save. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are saved. They are redeemed, never to be lost. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, and when God saves someone, he saves them forever. And then there is comfort in that. He shall deliver. He'll deliver you from your burdens. He'll deliver you from your sin. He'll deliver you from punishment and damnation. He'll deliver you from loneliness. He'll deliver you from a life without purpose. There's great comfort in the fact that he shall save his people. Are you one of his? That's the question. But then there's something else unique in all of this. The process is unique. The person is unique. The purpose, that's unique. And then the place, right? Ben so beautifully read from Luke chapter 2. The old King James. I love the cadence. I love the words. And it tells us in verse 7 that she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That's a unique place. A stable or a manger. Actually, the stable is somewhat questionable. It's interesting how the debate goes on, but with scholars, that maybe it was someone's upper room, or maybe it was a cave, and that's a possibility, but the traditional idea is a stable. But the manger is indeed certain. A feeding trough. I don't know why you'd have a feeding trough in an upper room. I can see it in a cave. But nonetheless, it's a unique place. So unique that if you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 12, the angel said to the shepherds, this is going to be a sign for you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I don't know how many other babies were born that night in Bethlehem. It's not a large village. And it wouldn't have been 
uh, you know, it wouldn't have been thousands of people. A couple hundred people maybe lived in the village, maybe a few hundred more, but there might have been more, a couple more babies born. But one born lying in a manger? That just doesn't happen. And that will be unique. That will be a sign. By the way, the swaddling is kind of an interesting process for Jewish mothers would take their little baby and wrap strips of cloth around the baby very tightly. They did this for six months. Now, every day they'd unwrap the baby. <laughs> and they'd put powder or lotion on and rub the baby, maybe play with the baby, change the baby, and then wrap it up again. Not a bad idea. Ought to try it. Probably be thrown into jail for child abuse, but that's what they did with Jesus. It was just customary. They swaddled him. But lying in a manger, that was unique. Away in a manger, no crib or bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. It's interesting how that has captured the thought of so many of our Christmas carols. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus, asleep on the hay. Once in royal David city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was the mother mild, Jesus Christ, her little child. That's beautiful poetry and wonderful theology. By the way, when you sing the Christmas carols, don't stop at the first verse. Some of the best theology is verse 2, verse 4, verse 8 <laughs> with some of these rich. Because it's a great story. You know, some stories are not worthy of a TV movie. Some stories are not worthy of a novel. This is so unique, it's worthy of our devotion, our worship, and our belief. There were two mothers, or two women, excuse me, having a lunch at a very elegant hotel. A friend noticed them and stopped by to chat for a moment. He said, what's the celebration? And the one woman said, we're celebrating my baby, just born. The friend said, where's the baby? The woman said, it wouldn't be a celebration if he was here. And that's probably true for a luncheon. But I'm afraid that's the way we respond in Christmas time. Where's Jesus in the celebration? We don't need him. It wouldn't be a celebration if we got religious. My friend, it's not Christmas if Christ is not there. It's all about Jesus. And so as Carly sang, Oh, children, come. All of us with a heart of a child, for unto you is born this day. All children of faith, come. Come and worship him. Come and proclaim him. Come and enjoy the one born for you, uniquely so. There's no other Savior in the world except Jesus Christ, Son of Mary, Son of God, born to save your soul. Heavenly Father, thank you for this rich message that fills our heart with joy and causes us to sing. May our worship today be well-pleasing in your sight because of its volume, because of its heart, 
because we sing with spirit and we sing with our minds, thinking about our words. And Lord, may this singing be well-pleasing in your sight because we believe what we sing. In Jesus' name.